welcome to the Hotkey Podcast. My name is Isabel Taylor and I am so excited to be welcoming you to the very first episode of this podcast. Every month we will be talking to authors, we will be talking to editors, we will be taking you behind the scenes at one of the hottest publishing houses there is and giving you the inside scoop on amazing YA titles. This month we will be finding out more about the history of Hotkey books as we listen to Kate Manning and Emma Mathewson in conversation about where it all began. We find out who knew Garth Nix longest and which Old Kingdom book we think you should start with. And there is quite a bit of slurping. I'll let you find out what that means. The wonderful Molly Holt, PR extraordinaire here at Hotkey, will be interviewing the authors of A Throne of Swans, Catherine and Elizabeth Kaur, about their jewel of a book which has turned into a complete sensation. And finally, we will be ending the podcast with an extract from the start of With the Fire on High by Elizabeth Acevedo. But that's enough from me. I will leave you in the very capable hands of Kate Manning and Emma Mathewson. Um, Hello, I'm Kate Manning. I have a very long job title of being the Group Sales Marketing Publicity Director hyphen Children's Trade. So I cover Hockey, Piccadilly, Big Picture Press, Studio and Templar. And if you hear any slurping, I'd like to apologise. I've just got a cup of hot chocolate. Hello, and if you can hear me above the slurping... Thanks, Kate. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Emma Mathewson, and I am publisher of Hotkey and Piccadilly Press. And we have worked together for a long time. A long time. It feels like a long time, but in a really good way. (laughs) In a good way. In a good way. In a good way. So I think we first met at Christmas Do in a pub in Islington. We did. We We sat next to each other. We did, absolutely. And I was really excited and nervous because I had just not because of you, <laughs> you um, because 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 I had just left Bloomsbury and I'd been there for 15 years and I'd had an amazing time there I was really looking forward to coming to Hotkey which of course had only barely started yes barely yeah. started and I just knew I was going to have an exciting time <laughs> that was the Christmas and I was lunch. right and that was the Christmas that lunch was and the Christmas Santa. lunch yes um, so yes so that was that was many years ago so Hotkey oh. wow we're coming up to our 10th anniversary in a couple of years so our first book was officially published in 2012 in summer 2012 and we launched with the most amazing list of nine books from August onwards in 2012. But actually, Hot Key was going for about a year before that. So there were various people in the office starting sort of very late 2011. I joined on January the 3rd, 2012, I remember. And then we had about nine months eight months to actually just sort of tell people who we were which was absolutely brilliant and we had a lot of chair races in that time because there were so few of us and such so much space Mm. in the office but I think the whole thing with hot keys it was set up to just to do something really interesting we felt that we could actually be a bit more open about publishing and have that time to explain how we were setting things up and why we were doing certain things and just getting people to know us rather than rather than sort of faceless imprint yeah I mean, because you were there, Kate, right at the very beginning, and I was sort of watching with great interest (laughs) from the other side. And um, what I could see and what everyone else could see was just huge energy. It was so exciting. And um, the other thing was that it was really sort of going against the trend of, at the time, all the big publishing houses were combining together, were just getting bigger and bigger. And the the idea to set up something new and much smaller was really going against against the Against, against the trend of what yeah. was happening. Yeah, I think the kind of books we were doing, so the first book that Sarah bought and Sarah Dedner, who was the, um, the managing director, the first book she bought was Maggot Moon by Sally Gardner. Oh, yeah. Which means yeah. the first book we bought as Hot Key won the Carnegie and the Costa. That was so amazing. That was so amazing. <laughs> and I hadn't even joined Hot Key then, but I was so proud and so excited. It was so, brilliant. yeah, that was what a, a triumph. Such a good book to yeah. sort of set everything off on. Yeah. It was brilliant. 
I think the other interesting thing was the fact we'd all come from big publishing houses, so I'd left HarperCollins mm. to come to, to help set up Hotkey, and coming from somewhere where, you know, you have someone on the door and uh, you don't know where the light switches are because you don't need to switch lights on, mm. to a tiny little, which is sensibly a startup, even though it's owned by Bonnie, it's essentially a startup. but the fact you had to learn the alarm codes to lock up of an evening yeah. was terrifying. Who bought the toilet paper? Yeah. We had to had to work out who bought the toilet paper. Important to know these things. Very important things. Fundamental. Yeah. But it also meant that we could, from the start, actually just sit down and work out what meetings we wanted mm. and how we wanted our systems to work. And I think one of the great things we first came up with was, was the hotkey ring on the back of the book, or the data donut that someone called it. Thank God we didn't keep no, up with that No, that one. was yeah. that awful title. Mm. Um, but the hotkey ring on the back of each book that basically states what the ingredients of the book are. And that was all, again, about this sort of transparency and helping people, helping booksellers especially, mm-hmm. with just sort of knowing what the book's about. Yeah. It, it, was a re- it was a really brilliant idea, and I think it's something that's really sort of, it's one of the many things that have lasted from the very beginning. And I think, uh, I think our authors love seeing what's going to be on, on the key ring, because we, as editors, we don't usually tell them. It's usually a surprise <laughs> <laughs> until they see it on the cover proof. And, of course, if there's any issues, we would always have a chat about it. Most of the time, our lovely authors love what we put on, on the key ring. I think my favourite one was, was one of yours, definitely one of yours, which was the We Were Liars oh, key ring. I was proud of that one. <laughs> <laughs> which literally just says, liar, 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 liar. Which, yeah. we're not going to give the ending of the book away, obviously, because spoilers, bad. Uh, but I think that, mm. that works, that works. In fact, do you remember when we sent the proof out for that? And um, because we didn't want spoilers, we sent it out with just a slip of paper that said, when you read this, you will want to talk about it. Please don't spoil it for anyone else. Here's a phone number. And we put down Liv's Liv's phone number. Liv's was our uh, publicity assistant at the time and lovely and brilliant person just to have random people phone her up during the day and just start talking to her about We Were Liars in the ending. The um, acquisition of We Were Liars for Hotkey, though, is one of my... It just encapsulated for me everything that I love about Hotkey because this whole conversation... This happened because you had a conversation, Kate, with... With Dave. With Dave. David Callahan, the wonderful, wonderful David Callahan, yeah. who's the buyer for Easton, based over in Dublin. And you have a very strong image of you and me standing in getting a cup of tea, as we as we have now. There is a getting a cup of tea. A theme running through this. <laughs> in the kitchen. And you say, I've just had this conversation with Dave. Everyone. He says, this is an amazing book that's been published in the US. And, you know, maybe it rights could be free for the UK. I said, OK. And, I, and so I knew who the editor was. So I emailed her in the US that hour. And um, she... She emailed straight back and said, yes, it's amazing, we're publishing soon. And we started reading it, literally, I started reading it that morning, passed it on to you and the yes. rest of the team. We'd all read it by the end of the day, yes, if yes. not the next morning. And we were putting together an offer for it. And within about, I think almost within a week or something crazy, we had put together this amazing package. We were sending things, offers. Yeah. Day by day, yes, yeah, and we had hand-drawn PowerPoint slides. Yes, because the yes. graph paper within. Yeah. If you read the book, it's where they write on graph paper. So that's what we used to PowerPoint slide, hand-drawn. You know, I've still got bits of that original. Have you graph paper? I keep on being to you. I've saved it from all of the office moves. I'll show it to you. Oh my gosh! Yeah, really? I know. So I keep thinking of you every time. Oh. So I've still got it anyway. Right. Well, that, well, when we finish talking, now, when we finish talking, <laughs> look, yeah, <laughs> put the kettle on again and then go and yeah. look. But that that, that was, was amazing. That was truly amazing. And then we published it with it was six weeks or something yes gosh we got out really quickly and emily was amazing she was the author she was absolutely brilliant about the whole thing she's amazing we did we've done some good stuff yeah we're still doing good stuff i think we are 
I think there's um, th- one of the lovely things is the actually having all of Garth's back lists. We can actually sort of. Oh, yes. Get- Garth, Garth next. Garth. Oh. <laughs> so I'm going to have to tell you what, just when we were going to be talking about Garth, I had to do a little calculation, which partly terrified me. Garth has been part of my literary life for, but it has been 20 years pretty much, give or take, one or two, because when Garth's Agent was first sending it out to be published in the UK, I was fell in love, this was Sabria, of course, uh, absolutely fell in love with it, was desperate to publish it. I wasn't at hockey at the time, and we just missed out, and I was absolutely devastated. One of those really cruel blows that you just remember forever and ever. And um, so I had to watch... Lyriel being published, read it, loved it. Borson being published, read it, loved it. And then sometimes you realise that occasionally, not always, patience can be a virtue because then there came the opportunity to publish Gar at Hotkey. And we were all so excited. <laughs> Kate, you are also a huge fan. Because well, so. I've been at HarperCollins and worked with them at HarperCollins. So I know, I've been you, there for, because, <laughs> yes. And for the, for, well, we'll talk about Keys to the Kingdom in a minute. But yeah, yeah. so we'd, we'd, yeah, I'd worked with them before and I thought it was brilliant. So yes, yeah, so when Clariel came in. Oh, it was, we were both so excited and um, <laughs> couldn't believe, you know, had a second, well, I couldn't believe I had a second opportunity to publish Garth. And, um, and we, we prevailed at that time. So that was fantastic. So we wanted to publish obviously in Golden yes. Hand. And now we have very exciting news, of course, hey! that Garth is writing a new book yes. in the Old Kingdom, which is super exciting. But also for us at Hotkey, very excitingly for us, we have for the first time this year the opportunity to publish Garth in print and ebook, all of the Old Kingdom books. And to mark that, this year we're going to be doing something very exciting and very brave, I think. <laughs> um, we will be creating a brand new cover look. Yes. Brand new author branding for Garth for the series. And it, we are already having lots of, um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say arguments. Discuss- discussions. Yeah. Productive discussions about which do you read first? Oh. Because obviously, mm. you know, Sabra was the first published Old Kingdom, but Clary is the prequel. Mm. Um, do you, as we both did, start with Sabriel, or do you, do you start do you, do you in the sort of chronological order of setting? Yes. Answer on a postcard, please, mm. because you know we're, we're mm. still debating internally. Mm. Depends on the day slightly, but I think I, I think <laughs> I know which one I would read first. I uh, yeah. Do we want to say no? after three? Okay, one, two. two. Three. Sabriel. Okay, oh. that's, that's easy enough. Well, that sorted that out. Yeah. We'll have to check with Garth what he thinks. Yes. But, you know, at least, yes. we're, yeah. at least we're, yeah. we're, we're firm on that one. Yes. Because the other, also, the really interesting thing is, obviously, we've got the Old Kingdom out in October, mm-hmm. the Old Kingdom, but also we've got the rest of the Batlist, so Keys to the Kingdom. Yes. That will do yes. next year. Yes. But that also throws yeah. up another really interesting thing in the journey of Hot Key. When Hot Key was set up nearly 10 years ago, it was set up to do fiction for nine plus mm. and now obviously with the uh, you know working with Piccadilly and bringing Piccadilly in as an imprint we, we're now actually doing sort of teen plus mm. but we've got a lot of YA in hockey so hockey actually covers teen and YA and it's it's a very different readership sometimes very different content very different emotional age Definitely. and I think yeah. recently one of the sort of ways that hockey has evolved is how we how we split those two out how we help readers librarians teachers booksellers us you know, navigate the difference between teen and and YA, and I think one of the ways that I think we've I think we've tackled that 
Mm. I think we've done well. I think Izzy's been mm. brilliant in just sort of sorting yes, it out. Thank you, Izzy. Izzy is, uh, is Izzy listening. Uh, Izzy's <laughs> staring at us at the moment. Any external slurping is Izzy. <laughs> she's running. You, she's running this whole podcast, <laughs> but she's also runs all our social media and our creative. And she's uh, she's set up the wonderful Hockey Teen Twitter feed, which I think just really helps differentiate because I think we're seeing a lot of well, how do we talk about teen books to a mainly YA audience on Twitter, and how do we make sure that people realise that you know. You can have a, an emotionally engaging, sophisticated book without sort of, you know, all the, all the stabby stabby, shall we say, mm. all the violent sexual mm. content that sometimes you do find in the older books. Mm. And that, I mean, that's what I, I love about working here at Hockey is because when Ho- Hockey first set up, Hockey was publishing for YA pretty much before YA was just absolutely the really strong... <gasps> Focused. It was instead. It was something else. Do you remember NA? Do you yes, NA. We had one. We <laughs> yeah. won't talk about that no, one. No, no. Anyway, anyway, we'll swiftly on. On. Yeah, yes. yeah. Talk about why. So, so Hockey um, was publishing YA before YA really became the thing that is now, and then teen and middle grade were much more familiar terms. And actually, mm. YA has become so successful. And I think we are partly to blame for that. I think it's part take of it. All okay. credit. Hockey became so successful. I think it genuinely pushed teen out a bit. And I think there are still a lot of readers. Obviously, there are lots of readers out there who are teenagers, but they, the teen publishing has become a bit lost. So we are very happy to try and sort of re and reass- reassert the yes. importance of teen publishing. Absolutely. Yeah. Within Hockey. Talking mm. of YA, have you seen the new um, tap proof? That's <gasps> It's just gorgeous. So Clap When You Land, yes. it's coming out in May, written by the amazing award-winning Elizabeth Acevedo. It is an absolutely stunning book in two voices, written in poetry and glorious. And Izzy, again, is now going to get very embarrassed staring at us. Um, Izzy's decided the most amazing hardback proof. Mm, it's um, absolutely delightful. And Colours. And when we, <laughs> and when we oh, read the extracts that have been put on the, uh, on the proof, it was one of those sort of slightly tearing up at your desk mm. Desperate channeling your adult time. But um, mm. really looking forward to that. So that should be very, very good. Mm. Throne of Swans, we've just uh, published. But have you got the manuscript for second one in? It's just in. Brilliant. So this is a good thing about working in publishing, is you do actually manage to <laughs> nick manuscripts from editors before the rest of the world can see them. Yeah. And, it, and um, our two authors are so brilliant. Two authors who are sisters. I still find it very, very hard to believe and completely amazing that um kate and liz can actually write together and work together <laughs> and, the fact that and still be family yes and still talk to each other yeah um but yes throwing songs i absolutely love because it's such a, a literally a flight of fancy but what they are proving with their second book as well is that they are it's the real deal that the second book is just as good or as good as if not mm, anyway just as good really? as yes I was going to say a tiny bit better, but that means the Throne of Swords isn't... Uh, there's something wrong with the Throne of Swords that isn't. It's absolutely perfect. It's, they're just so brilliant together. Can't wait for readers to be able to read the both of them. Any Anything you can let us know about the second one that we're, you know, any... Mm, not re- no, 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 not going to. Oh. Just not going to. Fine. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening. I suppose we'd better go and do some work, really, hadn't we? Thank you for letting thank us you. go off and one about yeah. hockey. We're very happy yeah. to do that again. Yes, no, we will always. <laughs> Invite us back. Yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> 
Catherine and Elizabeth Corr are sisters originally from Essex, now living in Surrey. When they both decided to write novels, on account of fictional people being much easier to deal with than the real ones, it was obvious that they should do it together. They can sometimes be found in one of their local coffee shops, arguing about which character to kill off next. They are the authors of the spellbinding trilogy The Witch's Kiss, and they have just published the soaring sensation A Throne of Swans, the start of a new duology with Hockey Books. Hi everyone, I'm here with the authors of A Throne of Swans to chat a little bit more about the book and the writing process. Hi Molly, I'm Kate. And I'm Liz. Very excited to be here to talk about A Throne of Swans. It's a high fantasy, which is different for us. It follows Adwin, who is the inheritor of a dominion, which is part of this kingdom. And she and all the other nobles in the kingdom are shapeshifters. And they can all shift into birds that represent their ancestral houses. But Adwin has a secret that she actually hasn't been able to transform since seeing the death of her mother and when her father dies too she decides she's going to go off to the court where her uncle is king and try and find out who murdered her mother and why and if she can take some revenge yeah it's very very loosely based on uh, swan lake which is itself based on the swan maiden and we like to sort of sum it up by saying it's a bit of game of thrones with a dash of hamlet and a smidge of i've forgotten the other one Game of Thrones, Dash of Hamlet, and no, Swan Lake with a game of Thrones. Oh, there we go. Um, Where were you when the idea first came to you? Were you together or apart? We were apart because it really, I think it originally actually came to my niece. Yeah, so I take ballet classes, not that I'm very good, but I do love it. And my daughter's been dancing for years and she said to me, this would have been in 20... 2018 yeah I think yeah 2018 early on in 2018 she said oh why didn't you write something based on Swan Lake and so we've thought about it for a long time because the story itself the ballet itself is very there's not much in it it's kind of one dimensional so we were thinking about what could you take from that story to actually turn into a, a novel and and then where would you start the story so once we had the idea of thinking about Adil who's the black swan in the ballet the daughter of the wizard so that's what Adwin was originally called Adil once you had the idea of focusing on her we had to then think about where should we start her story and at one point we were thinking about starting it much earlier in her life and we weren't sure about the voice we were writing it originally from you know like third person um, yeah, it took a while to get the voice yeah, yeah i would say we were thinking about it for actually think it's 2017 yeah. that she thought yeah it was 2017 yeah. that she mentioned it to us so i think we were thinking about it for nearly a year before we actually it really clicked and started working on mm. it properly was there anything else that changed from the beginning to now? So you changed the name of Adrin. Was there anything else that got cut that you wished had kept in or anything that changed from the initial idea to where we are now? We had Adette had a potential love interest uh, with another woman, which we originally had in, but we we just decided it was getting a bit too complicated to go into her personal life as well because obviously she's supposed to have be betrayed to Siegfried. Yeah, so too we, much going we on. had her originally not wanting to marry him and... Wanted well, to go off with her handmaid. It was to yeah but we just said there was because there's a lot of names in there and from people from different places and so on so we we uh, with our agent we decided it was getting too complicated so we cut that storyline to simplify things and I think originally um, Adwin had been the scarring that she's got on her back had been much more uh, intense and I think we might have even started off having her adopted I can't remember there was a whole lot of stuff at the beginning that we were like what are we going with this her backstory, yeah. <laughs> yeah with her backstory I think it's important to get it into your head as an author to have that backstory and then you can sort of cull the stuff that you don't really think is necessary. Yes, or if you're the stuff that your agents or your editors tell you. Don't think it's necessary. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, that's the good thing about getting to talk to authors, though, because you can, like, crack their head open and get all those little bits of info about characters that Mm. we don't know. So is there any of the characters that you base on yourselves or your friends or your family? So a friend of mine said he wanted everybody to think that he was the inspiration for the villain, but I don't think he's read the book yet. (laughs) I don't really think you do want to be (laughs) secret. Because he's not very nice. I think um, he might be a, an amalgamation of several ex-boyfriends <laughs> the decades. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that kind of single-minded obsessiveness. I mean, we've known some people like that, haven't we? Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> not um, sure we should name names. <laughs> I don't think otherwise. I mean, there's nobody really based on us particularly. I guess, so. the, you know, because we're very close as sisters, so we always like to get a bit of that relationship in, because we did with our previous books. But in here, I think Letcher and Adarim. Yeah, that's the sense, I guess, that you've got that relationship which is almost like, I mean, they are effectively sisters, even though they're so different. And they grew up together since they were young children and studied together. And she was orphaned, wasn't she? And she sort of was sent to live with her. Um, And also Aaron and um, Adetch, of course, are very close. And that Mm. plays out more in the second book as well. I like to think Aaron's a bit based on Catherine because he's a bit bossy. But that's Lucy as well, isn't he? He's trying to add more what to do, so... When you were writing, is there anything like a song or a movie or, you know, was there a snack when you were writing that now just reminds you of that whole process of making the book? Well, I actually have on my Amazon Music, I have playlists. So I have my dramatic playlist for (laughs) when I'm writing and it has a lot of... um, Two Steps from Hell. I love anything, because they do a lot of trailers for movies. It's all very epic, sort of battle scene stuff. So I love listening to anything from Two Steps from Hell, Victory and so forth. Yeah, I can't listen to anything. I actually have to write in complete silence. Even if there's somebody else in the house, it really just annoys me. I'm just like, Especially if it's me. Especially (laughs) if it's me. So you talked about liking silence. Will you write together or do you actually prefer to be separate when you write? (laughs) We can edit together and we do face, we we FaceTime quite a lot. Um, So if we want to talk over the plot idea, but Mm. Catherine has to have total silence. She gets really irritated if I'm in the room. Well, you've got like butterfly brain because you'll be like, you know... Well, I want to do some completely different subject. Nothing to do with what we're supposed to be doing, but we do plan together. So I've, I've discovered this amazing stuff, which is like whiteboards, but you stick it up. It's like sticky whiteboard that you mm. put on the wall. Puts it all over his study. Um, yeah, so then I, with, you, know, you can write it with, with marker pens, and that's quite good for the brainstorming stuff. So we do that together. Yeah, obviously, we have to come together sometimes. <laughs> otherwise, we can't so plan it. We're not in the cloud now, yeah. it's shared there. Um, but we write we write quite differently as well mm. and I like to listen to music and I take my time and I really kind of sit there going he said <laughs> and Catherine will write warp speed with you know smoke coming out of the quill <laughs> so it's quite different for the two of us yeah but then sometimes I end up with the getting confused so I was one bit in the first trilogy we wrote where people they went on holiday to one place and yeah, they, they came, came back, back somewhere, somewhere else, else I think, which was a bit which she noticed and I didn't but... that's why it's good there's two of you yes yes, yes. <laughs> Okay, what's your favourite book or the most influential book you've ever read? I always say the same thing. I always say, it's not the most obvious choice perhaps, but Susan Cooper's Darkest Rising series. I think The Darkest Rising is five books in the series. The Darkest Rising is the second one. And I think for me, that's what made me want to be a writer when I was a child. I mean, she's just got such an amazing imagination, but also the way she writes is just, she's one of those writers that there's nothing between you and the story you don't hear her voice, it's just, you're just immersed in the story mm. and, and we both loved that when we were growing up. Um, I think for me, I guess the two which I'm so, I really love Jane Austen, so, and I remember reading Pride and Prejudice for the first time when I was about 12 or 13. She does have a Mr Darcy pillow. No, that's a toy, <laughs> to be fair, it's not me. <laughs> I want one, but... 
Um, so I think she's got an amazing clarity of style, which I really admire. Mm. And in terms of more recent books, anything by Neil Gaiman, pretty much, I think he's mm. amazing. He's just got such a breadth of imagination, and I really love um, Neverwhere. It's one of my favourites. And yeah. The Sandman graphic novels, which mm. are just absolutely mm. mind blowing. Just, just words fail me at how amazing they are. But yeah, we both also read a lot of Terry Pratchett. Yeah, Terry Pratchett, Lord of the, and Lord of the Rings. Yeah, um, yeah, the Discord stuff is all great. Catherine always went a bit more into sort of historical fiction, and I was reading science fiction. Mm. So I think that's where we're quite different. Yeah. Then amalgamates and makes the throne of swans. That's very well. I've always wondered, as an author, how do you map places and fight scenes or, you know, movement within your writing of a book? Like, how do you keep places in your mind, I suppose? Do you create them? Do you draw them? Or is it just... Um, Catherine had a big... On those uh, white sticky things you put on the wall, mm-hmm. Catherine had a big map and big family tree and... Yeah, so I drew out the map. The map that's in the book is based... Yeah, it's a much, much better version of what I originally drew. But in terms of when they're actually in a scene, I, t- I have time try and think of what the building is like inside so there's a bit in the second book where uh, Lucy and Adrian are in the great hall and I'm, so I had spent quite a long time figuring out in my head where exactly the different entrances were to the rooms and what they could see from each angle because it just helps me write more clearly and describe it better and I, I like to think about the architecture I guess and imagine what it would be like and that kind of thing she likes to know the names as well whereas I, I have a I call people Bob or Mango in our drafts until we decided on, on a name so Catherine often, often comes along and then puts us something properly. Did you do any research for this? Did you go to any places or look up the original um, Swan Lake story? Uh, yeah, we read the um, we read the sources about for, that we used for the ballet, the libretto and stuff like We've that. We've seen the ballet and, a few times. Yeah, mm. and we looked at the um, oldest things like the Swan Maiden. There's like, a, it's, you know, one of those archetype fairy tales that's, so it's not... They, classify them in different ways and I think it's not an actual archetype but it's like a sub-variant so they have all these fairy tales where women change into different animals or birds mm-hmm. and things and which I think is the origin of it so we read some of that and then we looked at a lot of stuff about actual birds you know how they fly to try and get the descriptions right about mm-hmm. flight and that kind of thing we looked at the there's a great um, website or charity I think it's called um, called the Swan I forgot the name of it some, Swan something charity yeah, and, and the um, some other bird <laughs> yeah the uh, Royal Society for the protection birds, birds I guess mm. so when we were thinking about what this should the neighbours look like and um, what aspects of each bird should they have in their human appearance so um, we did have some fairly green people didn't we I mean literally completely green but I think we've kind of no no they're, 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 they're still in it yeah they're still in it because I just kept thinking aliens you think it's Spock aren't you aliens <laughs> <laughs> so who's it in Star Trek who's the green people and Kurt keeps getting off with in the <laughs> 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 these lovely green ladies yeah that's all I kept saying and she was a, a Ryan isn't it I think anyway um, yeah, so it's hard to get some of their sort of physical attributes in yeah. the colour of their skin tone or the colour of their hair or the colour of their eyes. Mm. And in terms of the geography of the country, we've, I mean, we've generally both visited lots of places in the UK, so we've tried to put aspects of some of those places in. So when they go down to Do Fleur and she talks about there's a blue glass and she doesn't know, she's not seen it before. So that's from Bristol because Bristol has this blue glass that they started mm. making, I think, in the 18th century by adding cobalt to the glass. So we just wanted to give some regional 
original variation in terms of little details of these different... We're both, um, we're both big fans of the National Trust and we're, every October half term we go away together, the family, and we spend most of the time going from one National Trust place to another. Yeah, lots of tea rooms. Lots of tea rooms. <laughs> but I think we've both got an interest in architecture and, and we both history, like history yeah. at um, university, so it's, some of it was already in our heads. Yeah. Mm. So book two yes. is in the process now. Can you give... A little hint about what might happen to our beloved characters. Oh uh, well, I don't know. She keeps trying to kill them off. <laughs> <laughs> there's a certain amount of things getting a lot worse before they get better. Yes, and I, I think that we've um, there's a whole group of nobles coming, fleeing from another. I think you should can't we say spoilers. It's not a massive spoiler. I'm just saying there's a whole there's some new characters new coming character. in from another place. <laughs> <laughs> new um, birds. Yes, different yes, birds. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is a. Can say this like, but I think it's a Gaia Falcon or Gia Falcon. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it. And um, one of the guys is a skewer because somebody who's uh, um, one of has read our books and enjoyed it said he likes skewers. So we're going to put. Yes. And that they, they leave the kingdom a bit more in this one. They venture out. Well, they actually don't. They just talk to people who have been outside, I don't think, do they? They do, because there's, there's that thing where they Oh, yeah, there's that thing. All shrouded in secrecy. If you had to convince someone to read this book, why would you read it? In one, one short line, mine would be, it's a bit of romance with dark, stabby-stabbiness, which is what I love. <laughs> Um, it's our new phrase, stabby stabby, because I just love that it's political intrigue and there's a bit of risk and romance and characters that transform into birds. What would be your short line? Game of Thrones esque high fantasy with romance and general epicness. It was there's sacrifice and love and betrayal and shape shifting, which is fun and class divisions and all stabby 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 yes and some nice dresses oh and really nice dresses Mm. yes. (laughs) How did you know that this was something that could be a really good book? I think after the, we written our last trilogy, we wanted to write something which was high fantasy because we really enjoyed all the world-building um, elements. Mm. But the last one was sort of set halfway between Anglo-Saxon England and modern-day Surrey. And I think we wanted to, we both wanted to write something high fantasy, but not not a medieval fantasy. No, I didn't want to do that kind of. You get a lot of that sort of generic medieval. So this is more. We're taking inspiration from like the 18th century, which I thought was something a bit different. But in terms of knowing that it would work, I didn't think we did know immediately. I think that's why it takes such a long time. And I'm pretty sure it was 2017 that we first started thinking about it. And it was kind of rumbling away, I guess, in the background. And we kept coming back to the idea and having another go at it. I think it was quite different from the, the way we originally envisaged it. It was quite different. Yeah, but I think that's, I think it's that coming back to something over and over that you, if you, if you can't, get it out of your head and I think it's a good it's yes, a clear yeah. that it's mm. going to be something which is worth pursuing did you show it to anyone obviously you have a brilliant agent now but did you show it to anyone other than yourselves and your agent before to get that seal of approval I'm not sure we did well, that my, my children are too young to read it and, and my children are too busy <laughs> <laughs> but they tend to mock us also when they read it um, no they love it but they've both read it now but what they can't stand is there's one scene where the kissy 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 cat is up in bed and they're like <laughs> just kill me now and let me cut my eyes out <laughs> Um, so they don't like that but no they, actually I don't think we did I think we just 
because we've been playing around with it and then we, we sent, it suddenly clicked and we wrote the first 30,000 quite yeah, quickly and then we sent it off to our agent. And we're we, actually working on something else We were working time. on something else and then she came back and said, drop that, do this. Do this, <laughs> this is really good. So we quickly finished the rest of it. Yeah, and then uh, Hockey really liked it, which was good. <laughs> I think that's one of the benefits of having writing as a duo is that there's always a kind of inbuilt editorial function. So... Mm. Before we anyone else has seen it, we've already hacked it to death between us and, yeah. and got rid of any really obvious problems. Yeah. So I suppose everyone else has their person that they send it to, but you mm. two have got each other. Yes. It just happens that you both write it as well. Yeah. If you could write a spin-off, so it's not based on your favourite character, but the favourite character's point of view, so who have you always wanted to delve more into, explore either their backstory or something that's going to happen in the future. Aaron. Aaron. I'm going to get in there before she says it because I know she wants to say Aaron. Don't mind talking to Aaron. <laughs> yeah, because she, she said she was going to say Aaron, and I said I'd like to say Aaron, and she said I'm going to say it first. And I actually <laughs> said I'm going to kick you, and I didn't get in quick enough. Going. Well, I think he's such an interesting character, and I think he has so much backstory. I mean, losing his arm and being cut out of the line in succession, and you know his relationship with his sister, and having that dad, having his. What happened to mm. his mum? Oh, his mum no, died, but then, of course, the second wife, it's like the whole Anne Boleyn thing. So Talis is one of the ladies in waiting. Yeah, so I think, I think that would be Aaron, the childhood years. Or would be a really good story. Aaron, after this next book, Aaron, in the future, if he's still alive. <laughs> if he's still alive at the end of the next book, something... Aaron. Maybe Talis and Siegfried, the romance, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a really interesting story. No, the other one I'd like to do is actually is uh, Lecture, because I think to do something from the perspective of a flightless person who is you know is seeing what her kind of people are missing up close because she's living in a castle and she's best friends with somebody who's uh, a very you know at the beginning of the first book who is uh, inheriting a whole dominion and it's very senior noble so to do something from her point of view would be really interesting and then somebody suggested doing going back and back 200 or 300 years and writing about the wars of the raptors Mm -hmm. and how the Swan family actually get the throne, get a hold of the throne, yeah. which would be quite interesting as well. Loads of them there. <laughs> Keep them in mind. What's on your bedside table at the moment? So I am reading Michelle Kenny Book of Fire, which I love. It's actually the beginning of a trilogy, um, but it's really, really good. It's like a little bit more dystopian fantasy, uh, but I'm really enjoying it. Um, I'm also, after that, going to read um, Louis Stowell's uh, Monster Under the Lake, because I really liked The Dragon in the Library, so that's my next one. Up. Yeah, I've been reading um, The Dragon in the Library with my son, and I'm reading Roof Choppers with my daughter, Catherine Down. In terms of my own book, so I've been reading um, Stardust, Neil Gaiman, um, and I want to move on to Vic James's um, Sanctuary. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. that's really good. I read that I've heard yeah. really good things. It's supposed to be a mix of Pretty Little Liars and The Crucible or something. So it's <laughs> really interesting. Yeah, it is really good. It's, it's definitely was one of my best books last year. I suppose that's a good thing about being a parent. You get to read different books with your own book as well. Yeah. Like yeah. when they're little and then you get to read your own thing. It's like three books in one, isn't it? Almost. Yeah, yeah. But, but less time for your reading. Less too. time for yes. your own, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cuts it a bit short. What questions do you feel like you are asking in this book? Or what questions does does it answer for you? I think for me it was the the revenge aspect you know the sense of at what point do you stop? Adwin's trying to um, find out who murdered her mother and then she wants to make that person 
or those people hurt in the same way that she and her dad were hurting. But when do you stop? You know, when do you say, actually, this is going to do more damage than it's it's going to cause more problems than it's going to solve? And I can't, I have to let go of that. So I think that was the, for me, the real, the main sort of question for Adam's character. Mm. I guess I was like, the aspect of sacrifice. She's quite young. She's called on to sort of sacrifice so much um, to sort of protect the people in the land that she loves. So I kind of thought that was an interesting um, part of her character development, seeing her grapple with all the things that she has to take on. Because, you know, it's, it's something that I guess affects all of us, isn't it? Having to grow up too quickly and, yeah. and, and you know, we had some of that in our childhood, having to sort of grow up quite quickly because our mother was ill for quite a long time and my children have had the same thing um, with, you know, the loss of their dad, so... Yeah, it's it's a difficult thing to deal with, I think, and that tension between what she wants as an individual and what she d- realises she has to do as somebody who represents the people she's ruling. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I liked that you never know who to trust, because in, in life that happens too, yes, you think yeah. you trust someone and then they yes. might disappear and I like that she's kind of trial and error through mm. this she's mm. kind of growing up and realizing you can't mm. just assume everybody's who they say they are mm. or someone might be mean to you up front but they're actually doing it from a good place for your beliefs like yes. Lucian does yeah. so I think I really enjoyed that there's a lot happening in a very in a short amount of time there's very much that sense of this shifting landscape with people falling ill and people's allegiances changing and that sort of political element, I guess, that you don't always, you know, you see it in our politicians the whole time. They say one thing one week and the next week something completely different and you never know whether they're, whether you can believe in any of them. Well, we've seen it all in the royal family recently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To be honest, very, I mean, it's just very intriguing. Yeah, so, yeah, that was a, a realistic, given that it's shapeshifters <laughs> and high fantasy, but that element of, on one hand, you have to trust somebody because nobody's going to be able to do all of the stuff completely alone it's, mm. and on the other hand learning and opening your way through this maze of um, who's lying and who's telling the truth and what are their real motivations and never being entirely sure and you know, some of that obviously continues then into oh, a lot into of that continues into the second book, yeah. the book too. is there anything in the book now that you read and you think oh I wish we changed that or I wish I've, we should have done that and we haven't now I wish we'd had a bit more of Talis because I think she's a great villain mm. and she may or may not be in the second book but I think <laughs> I think it would have been it would have been good to develop her character and her um, motivations a bit more there's always a tension between meeting the deadline and making sure the book is the pacing is all is all fast and flows well and putting in all the stuff that we would necessarily like to put in so I agree that maybe in retrospect we'd put in a little bit more with Talis but it's still it was on the edge of you know what we were like we were umming and ahhing about it where we left it was good but um if we could pop one more thing in it would have been a bit more of her backstory or a bit more of her otherwise i think we were pretty happy with where we were i think so i mean i actually haven't read it to be honest since um the last Sent time it we edited it <laughs> <laughs> apart from i've been going back and checking i'm not saying anything in the second book that is completely contradictory <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, i suppose if you you know if you look back too much there's loads that you could change and then your flow doesn't go yeah yeah i think it's... and it could become twice the size if you could add in everything yes. that you ever wanted to talk I, about i think yes. it's probably in the nature of being an author that you're never 100 percent happy with what you've written mm. and you know even now we look back at the witch's case and 
and say, oh, could have changed that line of dialogue or mm. that's not a realistic, you know, whatever. So I think you can continue to improve and improve and improve. Mm. And yeah, and it depends also partly on where the editors want you to be with it and what everybody's happy with at the end. But I think... I'm um, quite happy with this, they are, all in all. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you could, as you say, go on forever. That's why I think, you know, we could do a J.R.R. Tolkien and produce like can go 500... <laughs> Appendices and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we, we could do that. Actually, write an appendix and put all the extra. Depends where the Netflix comes. <laughs> <laughs> so you talked about your other series, the Witch's Kiss series. There was this one easier to write. You'd written books before. I think we knew what we were doing more definitely. I mean, I think writing is a craft like anything else, and you're bound to get the more you do, you yeah, should get better. Get. So I think it's very odd that people would expect the first book to be the best necessarily. I mean, they're, they're two very different books. The Witch's Kiss, we sat down and, and banged out the whole outline in a, in a day. Um, it was 14 pages long and, and it didn't shift too much from that original outline. Whereas but the this has shifted quite a bit. Yeah, but the difference, I guess the whole process of that was much more condensed because it was published very quickly after we got the um, deal and so on. And I think we didn't really know what we were doing in terms of dealing with editorial feedback necessarily or where to push back on editorial feedback. So um, we got a lot better at all of that kind of stuff. Um, Not that we needed it at all with Hockey. <laughs> no, Hockey would be lovely. <laughs> Um, so I think it's been a very different experience. It's been a really good experience this time around. And I think actually we found both of us... Would you agree that I've, writing the high fantasy yes, is, is actually being yeah. better for us? Because we just love making stuff up and... <laughs> You know, the ability to the world make building, everything yeah, up. To make it your world yeah. is, it's, you know, you're a mini god, aren't you? As I think Neil mm. Gaiman said, you know, you get, you get to create this entire world and everything in it from mm. the, the smell, the touch, the sight, the sound. It's a completely different experience from us trying to be realistic teenagers oh, yeah. hanging around Surrey, texting in the correct yeah, you know, it's a good. different different experience. Yeah, we're not worrying about if we use this piece of slang or whatever, will it still be current in five years' time? Because, yeah. you know, it's like, it's all in our heads, so... Yeah, I mean, they're both very, very enjoyable experiences. Yeah. Um, Do you think having written together now, you would struggle more to write apart? I, I think they'd know. be quite different books. Yeah. I think mm. Catherine really, in her heart of hearts, wants to go off and write historical fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day. Um, and I'd like to write something more kind of a comedy, Bridget Jones, or mm. more of a kind of contemporary setting. And I think, for the time being, I think... We're, we're <laughs> in it of, together. Yeah, yeah, we are. Because I think, you know, it's a, lot, it's a solitary... Um, occupation writing yeah. mm. and I think Catherine spends too much time already in <laughs> and you know we need we, you know we, we it's a lot of fun writing together yeah um, it is it's nice to have always somebody to talk to about you know God, Lucian's being such a pain in the ass <laughs> like, but uh, and, uh, to be honest I think if we wrote separately we'd still send each other what we were working yes. on mm. and then my, the, I think the danger if we wrote separately is that we'd never actually finish anything because you'd have notes for each other yeah and we would start despite the fact that we always say don't start editing till you've got to the end <laughs> we kind of we, we put start editing yeah yeah well we wrote for a long time before we got ourselves sorted and you know wrote what became the witch's kiss we wrote for years and years and years but we did never finish anything so we were, we were writing separately we yeah. have lots and lots of perfectly edited opening chapters <laughs> and endings uh, you write together. Can you give us a little bit of a insight into how that works? Well, I think it's been enabled by the fact that we're sisters and blood relatives, and 
you know. We have to be nice to each other. <laughs> we have similar interests, and I think that comes across in the, what we want to write. We both want to write a sort of fantasy and mm-hmm. historical setting, and but I think we both have quite different strengths and weaknesses as as writers. And as I say, Catherine can write extremely quickly and very high quality stuff. I'm good with details. But she is good with details, yeah. but I have sometimes have to make her go back and put the human <laughs> reaction aspect in. Whereas I love if we were going to sort of do a Star Trek kind of analogy. She would be Mr. Spock and I'd be Captain Kirk because I'd always be rolling around saying, I need my pain and trying to stuff more angsty emotion in the characters. And she'd be like, well, they've suffered enough. Let's just move on. Or kill them. Or kill them. <laughs> yeah, I think it works well because Lizzie's very good at editing. So she, she was really good at spotting where the pacing is flagging and stuff like that. Whereas I'm better at churning out the words. She likes to, um, she's great with descriptions. And sometimes I just get a bit bored and I have been known to pop in brackets. They move through a courtyard, sondam sketchy on the details at the moment Catherine to insert yeah, <laughs> carry on with the action so I think she's done all the sp- bit she's supposed to be done and then I find there's a big chunk in the middle which <laughs> I'm now supposed to finish, but, uh, but no I think it's I think it's a lot easier because we are sisters I think because we had, do sometimes argue, and I mean, a couple of times we've had to go to our editors and say, which one do you, which version do you like? But because we're so close, we're not going to fall out, even though I one time rewrote that entire chapter you'd spent days and days and days and days on. Yeah, I just thought your version wasn't very good. Having <laughs> <laughs> said that, there was a huge section in, in the last book, um, The Witch's Blood, which Catherine was very proud of. Out and it was on the green man um, and it was beautifully written and I just said it's just slowing it down she said no it's staying in I love it so we, our editor said take it out and slowing it down yeah. <laughs> this time, but this time with the one that's coming out with Crown of Talents yeah it's alright one there one, yeah, one all, one all. <laughs> you've got to keep something that you didn't want some to horrible it. gruesome thing which I was like that's just bad and evil and will make people cry yes. and I love the editor said yes actually it's a good scene so yeah. <laughs> How do you decide who are you going to kill or injure or get into a really tricky situation? <laughs> it's kind of fight to death thing, isn't it? Because Catherine's natural tendency is to want to kill most people in the world. <laughs> I hate killing characters. I really, I always want to... Let's kill you want everybody to live yeah. happily ever after? I, I like happy unrealistic. Yeah. I know it is, it is, but um, I do like a happy ending. But we've killed off a few people, haven't we? And yes. We brought a couple of them back in the previous trilogy but I think it's ultimately when we have these sort of arguments I think we will argue and argue and then I think one of us always eventually comes around to the other person's point of view because I think we're so normally on track and we normally have the same point of view mm-hmm. so we did kill off one of our characters um, in the last trilogy but we killed her off in book three instead of book two and Catherine wanted to do it book three yeah, yeah. but to you, yeah she, she got an extra lease of life but um, temporarily a bit longer three. yeah, yeah. Can you let me know what part two of A Throne of Swans is called and where are we going with it? So uh, the title for the second book is A Crown of Talents, which is the crown which is referred to in the first book, which is the ancient sort of symbol of Solanum, the kingdom. In the second book, I don't know, I don't want to spoil it if you haven't read the first book, but Adarin is adjusting to her new role and she's having to deal with sort of lots of treachery from the nobles and the ongoing drama with Lucian. She's trying to kind of balance all her sort of public responsibilities with her personal life and try to of still carve out that element of happiness in her own yeah and there are new threats because there's obviously the threat that's left over from the end of the first book and then there's a new threat which gradually emerges during the course of the second book lots of stabby stabby lots of stabby stabby and everything yeah the whole sort of world order in Solanum is under threat by the end of it so there's a lot of drama Mm. 
Do you feel like there's more that could come for Throne of Swans? You're not yes, quite finished so. with it yet. I think it's a good world, so I think there's lots of potential, um, and as it's, particularly as we've expanded it in the second book, there are other kingdoms that are referred to in the first book, but then you get to see a lot more, yeah, there's a lot more. of the rest of the world and Crown of Talon, so there's definitely potential for something whole Lots of wider. new characters with backstories that we, which are quite interesting, which we haven't really had a chance to develop. Yeah, or with futures that may, may or may not be interesting, depending on whether I kill them off or not. <laughs> <laughs> for those people who haven't yet read Throne of Swans, can you think of any other books that are similar that, um, that if they like, they will then enjoy a Throne of Swans? If you like uh, Victoria Aviard's um, Red Queen, you like Throne of Swans. If you like um, Strange the Dreamer, if you like uh, the Holly Black, um, Prince. Cruel Prince and Wicked King and Queen of Nothing trilogy, um, if you like Game of Thrones but for YA, so yeah, all of those books I think would be... Anything with a bit of courtly imagery. Oh, and um, Sarah J Maas, um, Court of Thorn Roses, I think, was somebody else uh, compared it to, so yeah, so um, we're very happy with all those comparisons because those are all great books. Thank you so much for coming in today and speaking to us about A Throne of Swans. It has been an absolute pleasure having you here on the Hotkey podcast. Thank you very much for having us. Yes, thanks very much, Molly. You can buy A Throne of Swans from all good bookshops and online. Thank you so much for listening to the Hotkey podcast. We would love it if you could rate and subscribe. And if you loved it, tell your friends, tell your mum, tell your sister's boyfriend's friends. You can find Hotkey Books at Hotkey Books YA and at Hotkey Books Teen on Twitter and Instagram and at Hotkey Books on Facebook and YouTube. We would love to hear any suggestions or thoughts you have on the podcast, so feel free to drop us a review or slide into our DMs. I will leave you in the capable hands of Elizabeth Acevedo. Part 1. The Sour. Emani's When Life Gives You Lemons, Make Lemon Verbena Tembleque Recipe. Serves your heart when you are missing someone you love. Ingredients. Two cans of coconut milk, handful of white sugar, four shakes of cornstarch, Pinch of salt, bunch of lemon verbena leaves, bunch of vanilla beans, cinnamon, enough to garnish. Directions 1. In a saucepan, heat coconut milk until it comes to a boil. Muddle a bunch of lemon verbena leaves and vanilla beans and add to the heated coconut milk. Let steep. 2. After 15 minutes, mix the infused coconut milk, salt, sugar, and cornstarch. Stir the mixture until the cornstarch is completely dissolved. Let the combined ingredients come to a boil and keep stirring until the mixture begins getting pudding thick. 3. Pour into a big cereal bowl and cover with plastic wrap. Place in the refrigerator for 5 hours. 4. After removing the mixture from the cereal bowl mold, sprinkle with cinnamon. Best eaten cold while daydreaming about palm trees and listening to an Hector Lavoe classic. Day one. Baby girl doesn't even cry when I suck my teeth and undo her braid for the fourth time. If anything, I'm the one on the verge of tears, since at this rate we are both going to be late. Baby girl, I'm sorry. I know it hurts. Mommy just doesn't want you looking a hot mess. She seems unfazed by my apology. 
probably because thing one, I'm not braiding tight enough to actually hurt her, which is why her hair is all loosey lopsided. And thing two, baby girl is watching Moana, and she loves Moana. So long as I let her watch Moana, she'll let me play with her hair till kingdom come. Thank goodness Angelica lets me use her Netflix account. I lean a little closer to the edge of the sofa so I can snatch up the baby hairs at the front of her head. This is the hardest part, and I have to start the braid tight and small to get it right. Emani, vete. It's time for you to head out. I'll fix her hair. I don't even look over at Boyla standing by the staircase that leads to the two bedrooms upstairs. I got it, Boyla. I'm almost done. You're going to be late for school. I know, but... I trail off, and it turns out I don't have to say it, because in her way, Boyla always understands. She walks over and picks up the comb from where I set it on the couch. You wish you could be the one taking her. I nod and bite my bottom lip. I worked so hard to get baby girl into a good daycare. And despite a long wait list, I kept calling and stopping by Mama Clara's, the woman who runs the child care, until she snuck us into an opening. Now that baby girl is actually going, I'm freaking out. In her entire two years on earth, baby girl has never not been with family. I braid to the very tip of her hair. The design is simple. Some straight backs with a pink hair tie at the end that matches baby girl's outfit. A little white collared shirt and pink pullover. She looks adorable. I wasn't able to buy her more than three new outfits for daycare, but I'm glad I splurged on this one. I pull baby girl's chair around so we are face to face, but I catch her trying to sneak a peek at Moana from the corner of her eye. Even though my chest is tight, I giggle. Baby girl might still be young, but she's also learning to be real slick. Baby girl, mommy needs to go to school. You make sure you're nice to the other kids and that you pay attention to Mama Clara so you learn a lot, okay? Baby girl nods as if I just gave her the most serious Jada Pinkett success speech. I hug her to my stomach, making sure not to nuzzle her too tight and fuzz up the braids I spent an hour doing. With a final kiss on her forehead, I take a deep breath and grab my book bag off the sofa, making sure to wipe down the plastic cover so Buela doesn't get annoyed with me. Abuela, don't forget her snacks. Mama Clara said we need to supply them every day. Oh, and her juice. You know she gets fussy. As I walk past Abuela, I lean in real hush-hush, and I also packed a little bottle of water. I know she doesn't like it as much, but I don't want her only drinking sugary stuff, you know? Abuela looks like she's trying to swallow a smile as she puts a soft hand on my back and guides me toward the front door. Look at you trying to give me lessons on parenting, nena. Please, like I didn't raise you and your father. Well, I gives my back a squeeze, smooths the hair buns up high on my head. She's going to be fine, Imani. You make sure that you have a good first day of school, be nice to the other kids, learn a lot. I lean against her for a quick second and inhale her signature vanilla scent. Bendición, Buela. Que Dios te bendiga, nena. She swats me on the booty and opens the front door. The sounds of West Allegheny Avenue rush in to greet me, cars honking, Buses screeching to a stop, rapid Spanglish yelled from the corners as people greet one another, and mothers calling out last-minute instructions to their kids from open windows. The door closes behind me, and for a second, my breath catches in sync with the lock. Every simple love in my life is behind this one wooden door. I press my ear against it and hear a clap of hands. Then Buela says in a high, cheery voice, Okay, baby Emma, today... You are going to be a big girl. I pull the straps of my backpack tighter, 
gave myself that same pep talk as I raced down the stairs. Okay, Imani, today, time to be a big girl.